Why don't we do this more often? Why don't we? Just what we're doing tonight. What a lovely night. Gee, but it's great to get together again. Show it. Why does it only happen now? My podcast, City of Angels Exposed, an insider's journey to the evolution revolution of downtown L.A. On today's episode, we're going to vicariously tour the historic movie palaces on the Broadway district. The reason I chose the movie palaces for my second episode is simply because they are my favorite topic and hidden treasure. And I love sharing with anyone who will listen. Although, stay tuned as my foodie passion is a very close second and coming soon. Restaurants, speakeasies, lounges. Oh, sorry. Back to the movies. A little backstory on me. I grew up in Culver City, home to MGM, movie mogul Louis B. Mayer, drunken munchkins from the Wizard of Oz being thrown out of the Culver Hotel, Spanky and our gang, and Keystone Cops of the 20s and 30s. Many of these entities filmed in almost our backyard in the fields of Culver City. My youth was influenced by both the studio system, musicals, and close proximity to Hollywood. My younger brother, who I'm going to give a little shout out to here, has spent his career in the biz, and I'm proud to report that he is a very successful executive producer. One of his most recent projects may have been producer of the Deadpool series. The first moment I was even aware there were still vintage movie palaces functioning in downtown LA was about five years ago when my brother took me on a tour of the arts and Broadway districts. I had created a DTLA consultancy company to find loft space for millennials in the various districts. And this was part of my education exploration to understand the different nuances of downtown so I could explain that vibe to my clients. I couldn't understand how it was possible that a native Los Angelian like myself had no real exposure or knowledge of the Broadway district. There was a pretty transparent answer once I gave it 30 seconds of thought, and that was prior to the early 2000s, very few people from SoCal made DTLA a destination other than for sports, plays, or an occasional concert. So let's discover together how and why the movie palaces became so important to the image and brand of Los Angeles and DTLA. Stretching for six blocks from 3rd to 9th streets along South Broadway and downtown, the Broadway district includes 12 movie theaters built between 1910 and 1931. By 1931, the district had the highest concentration of cinemas and movie theaters in the world, which I believe is still a relative statistic, with seating capacity for more than 15,000 patrons. Broadway was, in that era, the hub of LA's entertainment scene. Around 1900, motion pictures became a small part of vaudeville theaters. They were a very competitive group, and it cost owners to look for new entertainment, and the motion picture helped create demand that would drive in to their main vaudeville theaters. They used motion pictures as a quote-unquote chaser, shown at the end of the performance to chase the audience from the theater. Hmm. 
These theaters were designed much like legitimate theaters. The Beaux-Arts architecture were formal and ornate, and they were really not made for motion pictures. They were for live stage performances. The movie house specifically came before the movie palace. Comfort was paramount. They had upholstered seating and climate controls, which was pretty progressive for that day. The closing of most movie palaces occurred after the United States versus Paramount Pictures lawsuit in 1948 which ordered all major film studios to sell their theaters and the newly independent theaters could not survive on low ticket sales alone they needed the support of the major studios so they were forced to close some were able to stay in business by converting to what they called race theaters and others pornography theaters so they were innovative in how they uh, transitioned luckily the broadway district has been the subject of preservation and restoration efforts since the 80s and enter the wonderful los angeles conservancy they are saving every sort of historic building area institutions constantly and they started a program called last remaining seats in which they marry the old movie palaces every summer with classic hollywood movies and if anybody's interested in joining the conservancy it's a nominal fee to be a member get tickets early if you want to be part of their summer last remaining seats because they they sell quickly in 2008, the city of Los Angeles launched a $40 million campaign to revitalize the Broadway district, known as Bringing Back Broadway Campaign. One billion over the last 10 years has been raised in the program with efforts to redevelop Broadway in general. Um, unfortunately, this year there will not be that event, but they're hopeful in 2020 a different entity will bring back this festival with street performers. They close down Broadway north to south. You're able to tour many of the movie palaces for free, and there's lots of food, music, and entertainment. It's, it's a wonderful festival. The palaces were designed to be just that, breathtaking examples of ostentation and exotic architectural marvels. I've picked six that I most love and hope this will motivate you to jump on their websites for coming events. I'll start with my very favorite of the six I've picked, the quintessential movie palace, the Los Angeles Theater. It opened in 1931 for the premiere of Charlie Chaplin's City Lights. It had seating capacity just short of 2,000, and I won't bore you with the seating capacity of the other five, but on average, they, they were about 2,000 seats. The tower had was more intimate, had about 1,000, but this was pretty much the size of most of the palaces. The theater was designed by S. Charles Lee in a French Baroque style and was modeled after San Francisco's Fox Theater. It included cutting-edge technological features when it opened, such as an electric monitor of available seats, we took a while to get to that game. I think those, those are pretty recent events in our theater um, chains. Blue neon floor lights, a restaurant, a children's playroom, and <laughs> a soundproof crying room. Oh, I don't know what that's about, but interesting. Smoking rooms with built-in cigarette lighters, a walnut-paneled lounge, with a secondary screen, which I thought was innovative, where a periscope-like system of prisms relayed the film from its, its original source. 
source. I need to speak for a moment about the ladies' powder room. Uh, the toilet stalls that were each done in a different kind of marble and each toilet bowl of a different pastel shade. In 1988, the Los Angeles Times called it a movie house for the gods, even in its present dusty state. Columnist Jack Smith wrote that the Los Angeles Theater was palatial beyond the dreams of a prince with a lobby that suggested nothing less than the glory of Versailles. And I have had the very wonderful luxury of traveling to Paris and many beautiful palaces there. And it is shocking and stunning when you walk into the lobby of this movie palace with the grand chandeliers and the intact, gorgeous architecture. So I encourage you to hop on that website because it is a hidden gem that is authentic and beautiful. We'll go next to the Million Dollar Theater. It was built by the iconic Sid Grauman of Grauman Chinese fame on Hollywood Boulevard, and it's one of the older ones, opened in 1918. The theater was designed by architects Albert Martin and William Lee Woollett in a fanciful facade, which was Spanish Baroque style of elaborate sculptural ornaments marked by expressive and florid decorative detailing. After more than 30 years as one of the city's most prestigious first-run movie palaces, the Million Dollar Theater presented Spanish-language films and variety shows from the 50s until the 80s. The Palace Theater was both a vaudeville theater and a movie palace. It opened in 1911, and it uh, ran until 1926 and is the oldest remaining Orpheum Theater in the United States. The structure was designed by G. Albert Landsberg, you'll hear his name again, based on a Florentine early Renaissance palazzo believed to be modeled on the Casino de Municipale in Venice, Italy. The brick facade includes multicolored terracotta swags, and four panels depicting the muses of vaudeville sculpted by Domingo Mora. Marble walls and mosaic tiles were used throughout the lobbies and the basement featured, of course, a paneled men's smoking lounge with a fireplace. In 1926, it became a silent movie house and later added sound as the talkies were here to stay. One little interesting story was while rushing to her 1913 engagement at the Palace then Orpheum Theater, the famous Sarah Bernhardt's taxi driver got in an accident at Washington and Crenshaw, which later caused Miss Bernhardt to lose her leg. It wasn't a pleasant story, but it was interesting. Um, a very unpleasant story that I think is was noteworthy and worth mentioning is when the Palace Theater opened, the upper gallery level was earmarked for non-white theater goers. Reportedly designated as Negroes only, it featured bench seating, had separate restrooms, and could be reached only through an outside entrance. Historians do note that such an arrangement was unusual in a city like Los Angeles in those days who was more tolerant than other places. I attended a tour of the movie palaces with the LA Conservancy a few years back and we were sitting in the front row close to the stage and we did look up and wonder what the purpose of that area was for because as much emphasis as all the movie palaces put on the front of or the entrance of all their movie theaters with beautiful tiles in the sidewalks with lighting with uh, the most ornate architecture they could create on the front to entice people to come in the front entrance it was tragically sad 
sad to us that people of color would have to walk down a side alley, crawl in a small door, more like a porthole that was on the third floor and come in that entrance to watch the same show that the whites were watching. So a shameful period of our history, but nonetheless, it was true. Let's move to one of a more pleasant subject and one of my other top favorite theaters. The United Artists Theater, now known as the Theater at Ace Hotel, was opened in 1927, and it was the showcase for movies from the United Artists Group, which was created in 1919 by silent movie stars Charlie Chaplin, Mary Pickford, and her husband Douglas Fairbanks, and probably the most famous director of that time, D.W. Griffith. The theater was designed by C. Howard Crane in a creepy Spanish Gothic style inspired by a church in Segovia, Spain. The columns were terracotta capitals, carved with film and theater-themed grotesques and gargoyles, and a dazzling ceiling dome with hundreds of crystal pendants. And one of the reasons I find this, this movie palace so intriguing is that the lighting is predominantly, probably original, it's a dark purple, and they're dripping stalactite-type architecture from a lot of the areas. Um, it's known as the Wedding Cake Building because they did all kinds of crazy fretwork. I don't know. I think LSD may have been a part of, <laughs> more prevalent in the early 1900s than we knew, but it does have, in the auditorium, when you look up, it has beautiful, a starburst of a sun that is very reminiscent of Louis XIV's Sun King motifs. And it's a different feel and not quite as spooky in the auditorium. And I love the macabre and the creepy nature of the rest of the theater. But it's, it's quite authentic and quite interesting. The interior includes a series of frescoes and murals, and the famous Jesus Save sign was placed on the backside of the building to avoid interfering with the original facade. And in 2013, the upper floors of the building were renovated, thank you Ace Hotel, um, and the auditorium has been returned to use as a concert venue and theater. I thought it would be apropos to mention here that there are many investment opportunities in DTLA, and this is a perfect example of just that. Uh, for many years, the Ace Hotel was an evangelical venue, and it was sold, I believe, in the early 2000s, and then ultimately, uh, in 2011, it was sold to the Ace Hotel chain. No idea what sort of uh, major bucks they might have put into it to renovate it. It was sold for $11 million to them, and then subsequently, in 2015, after about a year of ownership and bringing it up to the go-to trendy glitterati place for uh, Young Hollywood, it was sold in 2015 for in excess of $100 million. So that's a great example of potential investment opportunities in DTLA. Let's move on to the Orpheum Theater. It was opened in 1926, and it's hosted some of the greatest performers in entertainment history, including burlesque queen Sally Rand, one of my favorites, the zany Marx Brothers, Will Rogers, a young lady who was young at that time named Judy Garland, and comedian Jack Benny. 
many jazz legends have also been on that stage, such as Lena Horne, Ella Fitzgerald, and Duke Ellington. In the 1960s, the Orpheum presented rock and roll concerts by Little Richard, the Queen Aretha Franklin, and Stevie Wonder. The restored theater continues to host live music and is frequently used as a film location. I'm not sure if they're still using it, but American Idol, that was their home base for many years. And it gave beautiful exposure to people that didn't know these movie palaces existed in LA. The Orpheum was designed with a Beaux-Arts facade by architect, once again, G. Albert Landsberg, who designed the Palace Theater, as aforementioned, the Wiltern Theater, which is a beautiful Art Deco concert venue uh, in the Mid-Wilshire area, El Capitan on Hollywood Boulevard, and the Shrine Auditorium. The mighty Wurlitzer organ was installed in 1926 and is one of the three pipe organs remaining in Southern California venues. Our final movie palace will be the Tower. It opened in 1927 with a seating capacity of 1,000, making it very intimate. It was the first of more than 70, count them, seven zero theaters designed by S. Charles Lee, who described the tower as a modified French Renaissance design. And it included French, Spanish, Moorish, and Italian elements that were executed in terracotta. And this is one of my favorite theaters I've toured because the inside was very understated, unlike the LA theater that was opulent, Parisian, um, in your face, Versailles, esque decor. This was more like something Thomas Jefferson, something that was more of a Regency feel, a Palladian, very simple, very beautiful. And I love the exterior on, it sits on the corner of 8th Street and Broadway. And about halfway up the building on 8th Street on the outside are alcoves that have what I perceive to be some sort of Indian chieftain's headdress that are carved in reliefs along 8th Street. So I've always been attracted to this beautiful movie palace, and it's simple but very elegant. I hope you've enjoyed hearing more about my favorite DTLA palaces, and I invite, coerce, and encourage you to experience them soon. Please come back next time as I will be doing an episode exposing the past and present speakeasies and lounges in DTLA, which one disruptor visionary started the craft cocktail vortex in downtown. Come back and listen as it's quite a story. If you've enjoyed this episode, please come back and let's do it more often. Like, follow, and comment on my Instagram at DTLA Noir for a unique look into the past and present of DTLA. We ought to do this more often. Mm -hmm. Now don't you agree that I'm right? I do. Oh, we make each other laugh. We make each other sing. And you can never, ever overdo a good thing.